red light. Okay, that's on and that's on, so you might as well go ahead and get started and okay. we'll... Yud, picturing arms and closed hand associated with the word hand, work, throw, worship. Your hands made me and formed Give me understanding to learn your commands. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. I know, O Lord, that your laws are righteous, and in faithfulness you have afflicted me. May your unfailing love be my comfort, according to your promise to your servant. Let your compassion come to me, that I may live. For your law is my delight. May the arrogant be put to shame for wrong, wronging me without cause. But I will meditate on your precepts. May those who fear you turn to me, those who understand your statutes. May my heart be blameless towards your decree, that I may not be put to shame. Good deal. Thank you. Okay, we have, wow, never had so many prayer requests in a single week. Lothar over in Germany. He's got blood clots on the side of his neck that are cancer-related, and he says he looks like the Hulk. So we want to keep him in prayer. Uh, Don and Pam, who attend here, Don hasn't eaten now. I think it's been 12 days, maybe 13 days. And uh, he thought, I've lost a lot of weight. I think I'm down to 190. And today he said, oh, I'm down to 176. So the guy's probably lost 25 pounds. Um, Pam is in the ICU and is not, hasn't changed at all. She was going down yesterday, and he says she's just the same today. And then uh, they both have COVID. And then Charlie Missy. I'll say this now, and then um, I'll mention it again on, on Sunday. Charlie Missy, who does the gray shirts, and she uh, had a stroke. I mentioned that, but uh, she's thinking of other people. She has 30 pieces of the grace pendant, silver pieces, okay? And uh, she's trying to sell them so that she can take care of a premature baby that was born in the Philippines. So if you want a gift for somebody send me an email. They're very beautiful. They're solid. They're real pure silver. And then uh, they're in the form of a grace uh, cross, a cross that says grace. So um, and that'll help her to raise money for this child in the Philippines. And um, uh, Jonathan's mother went to the hospital for UTI and she caught COVID. Um, that's Jonathan's mother. And um, so we have, let's see, we want to keep her in prayer. And John school i can't read my own handwriting sorry about that john is looking for a decent church in richmond british columbia so if anybody there knows he's been looking and looking and he has not found anything that is acceptable uh greg's mom came through surgery well greg who attends here and then uh, andy's brother who we mentioned was going to go into hospice he's decided he's going to fight this cancer and he's not going to go into hospice so she's asking for prayer for him and then sharon friesen has um, vertigo, terrible vertigo this past week. She says her head is spinning and she just leaves the lights out to keep her head from spinning. So uh, keep Sharon in prayer. And then Karen's son and their family have COVID and she is afraid she might get it as well. And being older, that wouldn't be good, you know, in her condition. So I'll keep them in prayer. And then Sean, who is down in uh, Lehigh Acres, he had heart attack number 12 yesterday. So he's, uh, the doctor is moving around his medications, and he's just asking for prayers for things to get straight. And he's a lot like me. I, I think he would rather just have a heart attack and be done with it instead of surviving through it. You know, when we talk to each other, our, our hope is to just see Jesus. And so 
and then one more, Claudia, today passed out at work and she hurt her elbow, but she needs to figure out what's going on because this happened to her uh, this past Sunday as well. So we want to keep Claudia in prayer and hopefully doctors or somebody can figure out what's going on there. And uh, so we got that. Can we help you, ma'am? Miss Garrett showing up late for class. Let's see here. <laughs> we have uh, oh, mother abuse. Mother abuse. Yes, it is August twenty six. This is a really surprising story. I normally don't read them before, but I was sitting here for an hour and a half today with nothing to do. So uh, imagine this: a baptism didn't do him any good. Karl Marx was born on five May eighteen eighteen in Trier, Prussia, descending from a distinguished line of Jewish scholars. His father was an attorney, and when in 1816 a Prussian decree prohibited Jews from prestigious positions in law, Marx's father became a Lutheran. I did know that. On August 26, 1824, Karl and his siblings were baptized. Karl was confirmed at 15, and for a while it appeared to be a committed Christian. However, as he continued his education, all appearances of Christianity faded away. He received a doctorate in philosophy from Jena University. He worked as an editor in Paris and Brussels before settling in 1849 in London, where he remained for the rest of his life. There he became involved in revolutionary politics, but spent most of his time studying at the British Museum. Marx was a poet. As a boy, he, his poetry revolved around two themes, his love for Jenny von Westphalen, the girl next door whom he married in 1841, and the destruction of the world. His poems were filled with savagery, hatred, suicide pacts, and pacts with Satan. In one poem he wrote, We are the apes of a cold god. One of his favorite phrases was from Faust, Everything that exists deserves to perish. The theme of a coming apocalyptic conflagration occupied his thinking throughout his life. He wrote The Day of Judgment, When the Reflections of Burning Cities Are Seen in the Heavens. In a speech in 1856, he said, History is the judge, its executioner, the proletariat. This vision of doomsday was an artistic notion in Marx's mind, not a scientific conclusion. It was a conclusion from which he, as a political scientist, worked backward. Many of his favorite phrases showed his disdain for religion. He said, Religion is the opiate of the people. Religion is the only illusory sun around which man revolves until he begins to revolve around himself. An acquaintance concluded, Marx does not believe in God, but he believes much in himself and makes everyone serve himself. His heart is not full of love, but of bitterness, and he has little sympathy for the human race, which sounds just like what's going on in the left of our nation right now. What kind of fruit would attitudes like these produce in man's life? Marx had a very unhealthy lifestyle. He smoked and drank heavily. He seldom bathed or washed. He was totally incompetent at handling money. He never seriously tried to get a job, but instead lived off loans from family and friends. Now, this is the guy that wrote the Communist Manifesto, right. so remember that. He never repaid his loans. His mother once expressed her wish that Karl would accumulate capital instead of just writing about it. Marx was... Saved financially by substantial inheritances that provided an annual income equal to three times the earnings of a skilled workman at that time. Even with this generous inheritance, all Marx and his wife knew how to do was to spend and borrow. 
The family's silver service was often at the pawnbrokers, as were their clothes. At one point, only Carl had enough clothing left to leave the house, and he was down to his last pair of pants. His family life was also disastrous. One daughter died of an opium overdose and another in a suicide pact. In spite of his writings regarding the struggle of the working class, Marx only knew one member of the working class personally. She was called Lenchen and was the Marx family's servant from 1845 until her death in 1890. Although Marx collected reports of many low-paid workers, he never found evidence of a worker who was paid no wages at all. Yet one such person lived in his own house. Lenchen never received a cent from Marx for her labors, only room and board. Marx fathered, uh, Marx fathered a son, Freddie, but by her, but convinced his protege, Frederick Engels, to claim paternity in his stead. Freddie was allowed to visit Lenchen only by coming to the back door. Marx met his son once at the back door, but Freddie never realized that the radical philosopher was his father. They ask, do you think that Karl Marx's baptism and confirmation had any effect on his later life? What do you feel were the primary factors making Marx the man he turned out to be? He wasn't willing to get up and work. 1 John 2, 19. These people left our churches because they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. So there you go. That's uh, the so, attitude of... we got to pray first before we get into a dialogue, but that is the attitude of the people that are trying to run this nation into a new direction right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to get into your word and to study it and to share it. But before we do that, Lord, we have a list of people that are really hurting. Many of them have family members that are sick. Many are sick themselves. And there are needs out there that we would lift up to you. We would pray that uh, your hand would be upon them, and we certainly need healing for many of them, Lord. It's just a, it's a difficult week, week apparently, for uh, the uh, people that are out there, and we just would pray that your hand would be with them. And we certainly lift up the people in Afghanistan that are facing a real calamity in the next five or six days, and they've already had some today, which has been uh, damaging to many families back here in America who have lost their own sons. So we would pray that uh, you would be with them and help them to be safe until they are withdrawn from that nation. And Lord, we just thank you for the chance to come in here and to, to worship you. And we thank you for the chance to raise these petitions to you. And we certainly thank you for your precious word, which you have given us. And we ask that you help us to handle it responsibly and to teach it properly. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you had a comment on no, Mark? Oh. If he ever was saved, oh. he was saved. If he, yeah, that's right. If he was saved, he was saved. We have no idea. And I was thinking exactly that when I read that earlier today. He'll wake up with a big surprise and a very few rewards if, in fact, he was saved. But, uh, yeah, well, that's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Okay, we are in Ephesians chapter 4. And we're, I think we're almost done with it. We're in 422. Okay, so I'll start off at 20 at the top of the paragraph. If you, however, did not come to know Christ that way, surely you heard of him and fought in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. 22. You were taught with regard to your formal way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by the deceitful desires. Okay, that's... 
that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which corrupts according to the deceitful lusts. So it's very close. Um, I was wrong. We're not almost done with this. We've no, got it wait. down to verse 32, so we might have another, uh, another class on this before we finish. Let's see here. 422. As the truth is in Jesus, who is the Christ, remember Paul was talking about the office Christ and the person Jesus in the, the last uh, couple verses. As the truth is in Jesus, who is the Christ, Paul now exhorts the Ephesians and thus us to that which is right. He instructs that you put off concerning your former conduct. This refers to all of the things that preceded their calling on Christ which he described of the rest of the Gentiles in verses 17 through 19. They once walked in such futility, and now they have been called by Christ, who is Jesus the man, to step away from the old man. Okay, this old man, which Paul is referring to, is the former walk. It is that which is opposed to the new calling in Christ. Logically, if we had to be called out of that life, then it is incumbent on us to remain out of it. It would be contradictory to be called out of something if it were okay to return to it. Now, we talked about this last week. Um, uh, just so you know, I, I've been posting these little things on YouTube called Bible Bites. They're from the Bible studies, and they're a minute or three minutes long. Um, somebody down in Naples, Mary, watches the Bible classes, and she said, I would like you to put these in, you know, cut this out and just put it in a short little form so that I can go back and refer to it. And so if you see those Bible bites, this wasn't my idea. This was her idea. And most of the titles and things actually are her idea as well. The time, what she wants set aside. And I appreciate that very much. But what we talked about uh, last week, and which is one of those Bible bites, is that uh, good works do not come naturally. And she titled it exactly that. Good works do not come naturally. You have to work for it. And that's the truth. And so if you don't study the word, and if you don't know what you're supposed to do, let me read this again. This old man is the former walk. It is that which is opposed to the new calling in Christ. And logically, if we have been called out of that life, then it is incumbent on us to remain out of it. Well, how do you know what that old life is in comparison to the new life unless you know what the word says? You can say, well, I know that I was forgiven of my sins, but you don't know anything beyond that without having a knowledge of the word of God and what is actually displeasing to God. You can't know. And so you're going to be stuck in the same life that you were stuck in until you get mature. And you're only going to do that through the knowledge of the word. Can we help you, ma'am? Oh, it's good to have you here. She drove all the way from Venice. I can't believe it. Unbelievable. Italy. Yeah, Venice, Italy. She had yeah, to get across the Atlantic to do it. Um, so it's incumbent on, on us to remain out of this life, but you cannot do that unless you know the word. Now, we have somebody visiting. Can I talk about our, uh, okay, before we started today, um, this is John, and he brought his wife and his daughter here, and they are from a couple-hour drive away in Florida, and they came down to be with us this evening, and he was talking about his walk in Christ, you know, and he had a very legalistic walk, and I can attest to that because I went to the West Florida Baptist, uh, West Florida Christian School and Temple Baptist Church down the road here for several years. And I know what it's like to be in a church where they tell you legalistic ideas. And that is as harmful, I would say, it is as harmful as actually uh, not knowing your word at all. 
because it is a twisting of the word and it's putting people into bondage. And he's telling me that, you know, I still have all this in me because this is the way I was raised and this is the theology that I was brought up in. And like I said, I can empathize with them because I was in a church like that as well. You know, no dancing, no this, no that. You got to do this. And if you're not doing that, then you're not a good Christian and all that kind of stuff. And as I said to him, the difficult thing is for us to appreciate grace. Grace is unmerited favor. If you're, if you're trying to earn God's favor, then it's not grace, and you never experienced the grace of God. And so we need to, uh, and you may have experienced it, but then you've had it pounded out of you, probably is a better way of saying it. And so we need to always remember to return to the idea that we were saved by grace, that we're not any better than anybody else because we do stuff. The stuff that we do is because we love the Lord, because we want to be obedient to his word, because we want to share in who he is, who is a gracious God. But uh, you, you can't merit grace. And by trying to do so, you live in a box of bondage and your life is never happy. You're never content. There's this inner struggle with you. So we need to be careful about that. And I try to remind people that are, are stuck in that, that can't get out of it, that just go to the last verse of the Bible, the very last verse of the Bible. He's gone through all of this stuff from Genesis, from the fall of man. He's taking you through Abraham's calling. He's taking you through the law of Moses for 1,500 years. You're in the church with people saying you need to do this or you got to do that. And you go through the tribulation period because people weren't obedient to the Lord. And then you've got the millennium, which we will have very little to do with as far as, you know, doctrinally. I mean, it'll be a, a time of peace on the earth and it'll be something completely different. But even after that, and you get into the final judgment on people and all the way through until the, the last chapter of Revelation and the glory that's promised to come, and then the warnings at the second half of the last chapter of Revelation. You go through all of that. All of that stuff that God has done through redemptive history to teach us a lesson, and the Bible ends on grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. If you just go to the last verse of the Bible and you see that if that is what he's focused on and that is what he wants us to end our theological understanding of who he is with, then we should probably apply it to our lives. I have been saved by grace. I'm going to love Jesus Christ because of the grace he has blessed me with. When I fail, I understand that he has already covered my failings. Don't let legalism destroy your life is the, uh, the warning there and the admonition. It's not just a warning, but it's an admonition. All right, I'm going to read this one more time. It is incumbent on us to remain Advent, meaning our old life. It would be contradictory <clears throat> to be called out of something if it were okay to return to it. If someone were unknowingly swimming in a poisoned lake, and if they were then called to come out of that lake in order to live, it would make no sense to again say, I'm going for a swim in the lake today on the next day. That would make no sense at all. Unfortunately, Christians far too often decide to return to the poison lake time and time again. And, you know, this is something that everybody struggles with. I get calls from friends that, you know, I'm, I'm struggling, Charlie. I, you know, I need you to help me again, understand the grace of God, because I, I keep doing the same stupid things. And listen, I tell them the same thing. I do too. I have the same struggles that you do, and I have to remind them of that. Just because I'm teaching doesn't mean that I'm not a part of what I'm teaching. 
That's why I'm teaching is because I believe this message and I need to apply it to myself. If I wasn't teaching, I may be doing something else and I'd be certainly forgetting what I need to do. So the more you're in this word, the more you study it, the more that you participate in it, the better it's going to be for your walk. Okay, so don't return to the poison lake. Try your best to not do it. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. But Paul exhorts exhorts us to realize that this old man, meaning our old walk, our old conduct before coming to Christ, is that which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. There can be no health in returning to that which grows corrupt. Instead, there can only be corruption. Oh, excuse me. These deceitful lusts are explained by verses 19 as lewdness and the working of all cleanness and greediness. He's already spelled it out. He's telling us now not to return to those things because that is what is growing corrupt, and we don't want to participate in that. Instead, we need to be renewed in our mind, renewed in our lives, focusing positively on our responsibility towards the Lord, on our salvation, you know, the gratefulness to the Lord, all of these things. You know, I was talking to a couple of people a few days ago, and they were kind of having some difficulties between each other. It doesn't matter what the context is, but they, they, these are people that have known each other for a long time, and it used to be that they had a real positive relationship, and now it's kind of degrading on them. And it doesn't matter if it's two friends, two guys that hang out, doesn't matter if it's a husband and wife, that's irrelevant to it. They are degrading in their relationship, and they wanted to know how they could handle that. And we talked and we talked and we went through uh, several different things. And uh, after they left, I realized that one of the things that is lacking is that they are no longer building each other up. Instead of saying, you know, Tom here, uh, he's been getting on my nerves lately. And well, John, you've been poking it. Instead of saying, you know, John, you're just the nicest guy. I'm so appreciative of your, your friendship. They have gotten beyond that. And they're stuck in this this cycle of downward, and I, those were just example names, okay? That's not really the people's names. Uh, we got a Tom and a John right here, and I just happened to, okay? But uh, you understand what I'm saying is that that we need to focus on what is positive. Rather than tearing each other apart and focusing on the negative, we need to focus on the positive. And that is the same with our walk, and that's what Paul is saying. We don't want to focus on the negative where we were. We want to focus on the positive of who we can become, of who we are in Christ. And if we can do those things, then we will be much more effective in our own lives, in our interpersonal relationships, our family relationships, everything. Okay. If you just try to remember not to get into a cycle of tearing each other apart, but instead remembering that there is good in this person that I once cherished and that we can build each other up in that regard. And I guarantee you that if you start that, it will almost snowball. It'll start growing and there will be, uh, I've seen it in marriages. I've seen it in friendships where if people start complimenting each other and saying, you know, what you've done is just, it, it just blessed me so much. The next morning, there'll be another blessing. Okay. Try to keep that in mind. But at the same time, that's just an example from one part of our life, which is applicable in our spiritual life. If we focus on the good, if we work towards what Christ has offered us instead of where we came out of, we're going to be a lot better off. We need to stay away from where we came out of. Okay, so um, let's see here. Um, I think I read that. Uh, no, the words which, uh, which grows corrupt, Paul's words, which grows corrupt, are passive, and therefore they mark the progressive condition of corruption 
which characterizes the old man. That's Benson's word studies. Okay, I'll read that again. It's in the passive. It's not an active thing. They mark the progressive condition of corruption which characterizes the old man. The old man is set in corruption, which characterizes the old man. Okay, Be I'm sorry. The old man is set in corruption because this is its very nature. You know, what did we talk about with Marx there? He's set in corruption. It's his very nature. Okay. The old man is set in corruption because this is its very nature. It bears a process of degradation which can never become Christ-like. It can never happen. This is because it is, according to, as the Greek properly reads, lusts of deceit. It is as if Paul personifies the word deceit. If one follows the old man, they follow, capital D, deceit. They're following him along life's path. If one puts off the old man, they can then properly follow Christ. So you have your choice. You can follow Christ. You can get into his word. You can apply it to your life, learn it, study it, meditate on it, think on it, chew on it, listen to it with an audio Bible. Follow Christ or you're going to be following deceit. And it's going to be one or the other. There is nothing in this life that is static. Nothing. Everything is either moving forward or it's moving back. There's, there's nothing that you can think of that is static. I don't care if it's a rock. If a rock is sitting there, it looks like it's static. It's not. It's either growing moss or it's being cleaned by somebody, but it is not static. Everything has to go in one direction or another. If you're not moving towards Christ, you're regressing from Christ. You might not be moving back towards the old man yet, but you're regressing from Christ, okay? So you need to understand in your daily life, your contemplations are very important. I'm going to think about the Lord. I'm going to think about his word. I'm going to read the word in order to give me something to ground myself in today and just keep living the Christian life. Stay away from the old man. But once again, the old man is there pulling at us all the time. I don't care if it's legalistic church or if it's uh, you know an old addiction that you had, whatever it is, it is always there pulling at you. Okay? No doubt about it. Life application. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Bible stands as a warning sign by the great ocean of corruption. Do not swim in these waters. How is it then that we constantly feel the need to return and plunge into that which can only corrupt us? Let us endeavor to fix our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2, my favorite verse in the Bible, and let us pursue life and health which is found in him alone. If we have our eyes on Jesus, that's where we're going to be thinking. If we have our eyes on Jesus, that's where we're going to be walking towards, okay? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Everything else in this world is just temporary. It's corrupt. It's falling apart. Fix your eyes on Jesus. We're all of Adam. Yeah, that's right. We're all of Adam. Do not. It's like, oh, then I must. Then I must. Exactly right. Okay, 423. Right. This is a long one. To be made new in the attitude of your mind. Okay, this one says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 423, this is an exhortation from Paul. And thus, the spirit of your mind is not speaking of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, those translations which capitalize spirit here, which some do, are incorrect. Man is not ever considered the subject of the Holy Spirit. The times when the Holy Spirit are mentioned, the subject is in relation to God and to his redemptive work. We are not the subject of what the Holy Spirit is doing, okay? So keep that in mind, and let me make a quick correction right there. All right, understanding this, 
He exhorts the reader to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Helps Word Studies defines the word translated as be renewed, which is found only here in the New Testament, as to make new in relation to time. They note that believers are reminded of God's continuous offering to bring new strides in their sanctification through sanctified reasoning, raising the meaning up to new levels of spiritual comprehension and reality. That's helps word studies. I'll read it again. Think on what they say. It's defined as to make new in relation to time. In other words, time is going by and we're renewing ourselves in our mind. It's not just something we do and it's done. We're renewing our mind as we're going along through time. They note that believers are reminded of God's continuous offer to bring new strides in their sanctification through sanctified reasoning. Here we're walking along. We're being renewed in our mind. Okay, We are reasoning out what is appropriate. Once again, though, you cannot do this. It is impossible unless you know what God expects of you to do. It's not possible. Okay, Raising the meaning up to new levels, new levels, new levels of spiritual comprehension and reality. You cannot do that if you are going to spend your life sitting in a church where they focus on the Beatitudes. It is impossible. And I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but that's what most of the old Reformed churches are now doing. They've walked away from sound theology. The people in the pulpits don't know the Lord, or if they do know the Lord, it was a long time ago, and they're just getting a paycheck. And they stick with the Beatitudes where everything is love and easy. And once again, that's out of context anyway. I mean, it is Jesus giving life principles, okay? But he is speaking to Israel under the law, and he's giving them guidance. As a matter of fact, I just typed something from Levitic, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 27. I finished that chapter this past week, and uh, I actually brought in chapter 5, the Beatitudes. And there's a reason why. If you go read Deuteronomy 27 and then uh, his uh, Beatitudes in Matthew, uh, I forgot the, the chapter. Five, thank you. I just said that, and then my brain stopped. Um, if you go and read those, you'll understand why it is so important to connect those two together. Anyway, um, uh, you cannot know the things that we're talking about here, if you stick in that type of theology. You have to understand what Paul is saying. You have to apply it to your lives. You have to reason out what is being, uh, he was talking, uh, John was talking about um, Paul rebuking Peter in in Galatians chapter 2. And once you see it, and once you study it, and you think about it, you think, this is a really helpful thing in my walk with Christ in the particular situation I'm in, the legalistic church that he's in. Okay, because that is what Peter was consigning the people of Galatia to. He's saying, you know, he, by his actions, he wasn't actually saying it, but by his actions, withdrawing from the Gentiles because the Judaizers had showed up, by his actions, he's putting those Gentiles under bondage, under legalism, saying, oh, well, maybe it's better that I observe the law because these big guys are here and I don't want to offend them or whatever his thinking was. And Paul said, this is inappropriate. He called him right out on the carpet. So you can't know that unless you read the book of Galatians. And you can't understand Galatians unless you think about what you've read and study what you've read and contemplate on it. Why did he do these things? Always ask when you're reading the Bible, why? Why? Just keep asking that question. Why is this here? What is it directing me towards? Okay, so having given the uh, explanation of be renewed, the sanctifying renewal of the mind is something that we must work at. It's like I just said that for the past five minutes. People who look to the Holy Spirit as the sole means of sanctification 
charismatic churches, okay? You go into a charismatic church, they don't open the Bible. They're not interested in sound theology. Their sole means of sanctification is relying on the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit is the one that wrote this word. He inspired men of God to put these words to paper or to parchment, okay, to papyrus, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit for us to, it's not, you don't just walk into church and come to the door and somebody injects you with the Holy Spirit and you go and have an experience. It does not work that way. So I'll read that again. Um, people who look to the Holy Spirit as the sole means of sanctification in this manner have misunderstood what it means to be a sound follower of Christ. It is very easy theology. It's very easy to go into a church and say, I'm going to be filled with the Holy Spirit today. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit guide me. And I've given this example at least 50 times in this class, and I'm going to give it again. When I was on Facebook, thank goodness I'm not on there anymore, and I will never be again. But when I was on there, my friends that attended Pentecostal and charismatic churches were the first ones on Sunday morning to get up and start saying, I'm so excited about church. I can't wait to go and be filled up with the spirit, blah, blah, blah. They'd come home and they'd be on fire. Oh, it was such great service. I'm so filled with the spirit and blah, 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 blah. And on Monday morning, there was nothing but negative all the way through their posts for the rest of the week. But the people that went to a church where they opened the Bible, where they studied the word, where they they were instructed that life is not always easy and it doesn't get injected into you with a hypodermic needle at the door. Those people all the way through the week were posting things that were sound and reasonable. God is so good. My father just died today, but I'm so thankful for knowing him. I'm thankful to God for that. My dog just got run over by a car. I am going to miss that puppy, but thank God that I had the chance to be with that dog. And they, they're just positive in their being because they have the word of God in them. That's why Paul says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. It's because that is what will keep you going through the difficult times that happen to everybody every single week of their life. If you're just relying on an injection of the spirit, your good times are over at 12.55 on Sunday afternoon. And after that, it's all downhill until next Sunday morning at nine o'clock. It's not sound and it's not reasonable. We do not get an in an external injection of holiness as we walk in this life. Rather, we are to actively pursue it through our own moral activity. We are responsible for our state and our situation in life. The more that you are in the word, the less you're going to whine about the circumstances you're in. Now, don't get me wrong. When people have true griefs and true troubles, it's almost impossible not to whine about them, okay? When I, Pedico knows, I have a very low threshold of pain. Well, I stub my toe and the rest of the day it is woe is me for Charlie, okay? Pedico one time, it's true. You probably know it from the projects too. But, uh, uh, yeah, my mom definitely knows that. But now my wife, on the other hand, one day she was walking. She made a turn and she thought she was walking into a bedroom and she stepped down the stairs and she fell down the flight of stairs hit her head on the concrete wall at the bottom of it she had broken her back and the next morning her head was as big as a balloon uh, as big as a bat, uh, basketball right and she wanted to go to work and when we took her to the clinic because she was looking really bad completely purple and green and they said you're okay you have a concussion blah 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 she says i need to get to work and they said well before you go is there anything else that's bothering you? She says, well, my, my back hurts a little bit. And they did a, 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 a what do you call it, x-ray, thank you. 
And yes, she had broken her back. This is a lady that can take a lot of punishment, okay? Some people cannot do that. I am one of them, and I will whine. So I'm not trying to pick on anybody. If you have difficulties, I'm, I'm not equating your whining with a lack of faith. That's a completely different thing, okay? But some people just whine over everything, and that shows that they are not grounded in the Word, okay? It's people that are uplifted through life's difficulties, whatever they may be. Those are people that really understand that I have something much better coming. And it, it, it's, it's a testament for the people around them. Okay? If you're a Christian and you're always miserable, what kind of a testimony are you to the people that need to know who Jesus is? Okay? So, let's see here. Um, uh, where was I? We do not... Yes. Um, the spirit referred to is the higher life principle in man by which the human reason viewed on its moral side the organ of moral thinking and knowing is informed. That's Vincent's word studies. I'll read that again. The spirit referred to is the higher life principle in man by which the human reason. Okay, remember, we're not talking about the Holy Spirit here. We're talking about the spirit that Paul was referring to at the beginning, the spirit of your mind. The spirit is the higher life principle in man by which the human reason viewed on its moral side, because the Bible is a book of morals. The organ of moral thinking and knowing is informed okay so how do we do what is necessary to be reviewed renewed in this way where does the knowledge for what we are to do come from obviously it is from a study of scripture it was written under the inspiration of the holy spirit for our benefit in other words though we actively are to be renewed in this manner it is the spirit of god who passively participates in this process. It's just like the, the process of being filled with the Spirit, which Paul refers to elsewhere. It is a passive action in the Greek. It is never active, and that's where the fundamental flaw of charismatic churches resides. They treat the Holy Spirit in an active manner, which it's not. They're never filled with the Spirit. Instead, they're filled with whatever music they're listening to, whatever, you know, the good message the pastor is giving, but it has nothing to do with being filled with the Spirit according to the way that the Bible is written, because tenses in the Bible actually have meaning, okay? The uh, morphology of the sentences of every single word has meaning, and when you study those things, you begin to find out that, you know, I was wrong. I was misunderstanding this precept, and but you can't do that unless you're studying the Word of God. It's not possible, okay? So, um, God, he passively participates in this process. Again, Christians err when they believe that all they need to do is snap their fingers and all of the benefits of the Holy Spirit will pour down upon them. Hence, we have weak churches filled with weak Christians because study of the word is relegated to an afterthought instead of being our chief means of doing exactly what we are instructed to do. That's why we're given the word of God is to be our means of understanding. Now, obviously, it's a different dispensation, but the law was given to Israel to lead and to guide Israel. We know now that it was a tutor to lead them to Christ, because nobody can do the things of the law, and there was 1,450 years of proving that, okay? So that is the main purpose of the law. But during the time of the law, they didn't know that. During the time of the law, they were given the law to guide their actions for holiness, for cleanliness, for all kinds of interpersonal reactions and relations, okay? If they had followed those precepts, precepts even failingly, okay, how much better would they have been? 
but they time and again you go through and you see where uh what is it in the time of hezekiah or i may be wrong maybe josiah they find the book of the law they completely forgotten that the book of the law even existed and what was the first thing that he did it was josiah what was the first thing he did when he heard the words of the law written or they were read to him when he heard the words of the law read to him he tore his robes he was horrified at the judgment that was coming upon them because he knew that that was the word of God and he knew that the word of God said that if you don't do these things you will be destroyed by me and this was just a young king and he knew what was coming he tore his robes okay the word is given for instruction that's what the word torah which is the the uh, word used to describe the books of moses torah means instruction that's all it means it's not a special word that people kind of flip around in some churches all it means is instruction it was given for their benefit for their right living for their you know if you don't follow the torah and you're married to a woman and you decide you don't want to be married to her anymore you divorce her oh that's so easy or your wife starts sleeping around with somebody else because they're not reading the word they're not understanding that they are accountable to the lord because of these things if they knew the word if they had a fear of god then they wouldn't do those things and their lives would be happy they'd be sound Take that precept now to the New Testament. Same thing. You cannot have a normal functioning Christian life unless you know the Word of God. It's not possible. You cannot do it. And this is the lesson that we're being given in the words of Paul. Okay? So, hence, we have weak churches filled with weak Christians because study of the Word is relegated to an afterthought instead of being our chief means of doing exactly what we are instructed to do. And this is what we should be doing, is what we are instructed to do. Life application. Mature Christians will look for sound preachers, just like this guy that uh, e uh, emailed me, and he said, I want a church in, where was it? Richmond, British Columbia. He's been going around. He goes to a church. I got a friend in Arizona that's in the same search. He's looking for a church right now. He has been unable. This guy is actually proactive. He's go not just going to the church and listening. He's making an appointment with the pastors of the churches that he's going to. And he sits down with them. And he is finding out the most bizarre things about the inner workings of a church. Before he ever goes in there, he went to a mega church. I'm not going to give the name or the circumstances of him or the church, but he went to a mega church and they have a lead pastor and they got a bunch of associate pastors and none of them have the same doctrine. None of them. They just hired people. You're a, a whatever, you're going to be the marriage pastor. And one of them is a Calvinist, one of them is a dispensationalist, one of them, none of them agree on anything. There's just, there's no sense of proper doctrine within the church. And he says, how can you run a church like this? Well, we just don't talk about those issues. <laughs> well, then what are you doing? What do you talk about? What do you do? What, what is your purpose in this church? Well, you know, we, we got take care of people and, you know, I mean, whatever they're doing, I mean, I, I can't even imagine, but there's. If you're not going to discuss the major doctrines and the core doctrines of Scripture, you should not be in the pulpit. You should not be teaching a class in any church anywhere. You should be, I, I don't even know what to think of hearing that kind of thing. And he, he keeps going to churches and he keeps getting the same type of attitude. Or somebody will say, well, I'm a Calvinist, but I will preach dispensationalism because that's what the people here want to hear. Okay. Well, that's kind of disingenuous as well. I, I will tell you this. This is personal experience. I was at Grace, and at the time I wanted to, you know, become a pastor somewhere. And I was just ordained, 
and there was a church on Fruitville Road. I can't remember. I think it was Church of God. It was. It was Church of God. And they, a lot of people I knew attended that church, and they were friends with me on Facebook. And they said, our pastor has left, and we need a pastor. And would you be willing to apply? And I said, well, first, they require you to go to their seminaries and be schooled in their doctrine. I said, but secondly, I wouldn't go there anyway because the Church of God has different views on Scripture, on this issue, on this issue, on this issue, on this issue. I went through about 10 of them. And she emailed back and she said, that is exactly what we believe. And I said, then there's a disconnect between what you believe and what the church doctrine is. Because go onto the website and read, and they couldn't believe it. They're in this church all these years. The pastor was teaching what they wanted to hear, but he wasn't teaching what the church doctrine actually required. He went to that seminary. He was taught in that. And how can you live a life like that, contradictory to who you are as a human being and your relationship with God, that you're going to teach something different just to keep the congregation happy? How is that possible? I I just don't get that. So anyway, um, life application, mature Christians will look for sound preachers and teachers. This is, listen, this is not saying that I'm a sound teacher or preacher. That is for you to decide. I'm giving an example, and I'm not saying this is me, and I'm glad you're here. Okay, I have to qualify that because when I write a commentary, I have to write something that is appropriate. People are going to read it a hundred years from now. Hopefully, hopefully not. Hopefully everybody will be out of here. But you know what I'm saying? I, 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 I have to write things in a general way. So when I say these things, it's not saying I'm a good preacher. That is never for me to decide. Okay. But mature Christians will look for sound preachers and teachers to instruct them in the words of scripture. And they will supplement what they have learned through their own studies of the word. What do I say every single class? You go home and check what I have said. Make sure that what I have said is correct. And if it's not, let me know, and we'll talk about it, okay? I don't ever want to teach something that is known to be wrong about this precious Word of God. In doing so, they will have the the right moral compass by which they can effectively renew the spirit of their mind. If you don't do that, if you're not reading the Word, if you're not meditating on it, if you're not thinking on it, maybe reading analyses of it and also listening to people different uh sermons on it how can you grow in that word but what i would suggest and i i say this also from time to time is that you should read the word uninterrupted just read it and just read it and just read it and the more that you do that without any input from any preacher including charlie garrett when you hear somebody teach on that particular passage that they're talking about, you can say, well, that doesn't sound right. You will have already in your mind something because you have read the Word of God and you have it in your head, okay? So I, that's what I recommend. Uh, it, when I first really came to the Lord, that's what I did. I read the Bible again and 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 again, and I just kept reading it. So I had no theology. I didn't understand any of the doctrines of the Bible, but I knew what the Bible said. And when somebody presented a doctrine and it was obviously wrong, I was aware of it. I didn't know why it was wrong. I didn't know how it was in proper theology, but I knew that it was wrong. And then I could go and search out, why is this wrong? You can't do that if you don't know the Word of God. So please keep reading your Bible in verse uh, 424 for you. And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Almost identical. 
In verse 22, we were told to put off the old man. If we do this, something must logically replace it. As he has just asked us to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, Paul now bolsters that thought with, and that you put on the new man. You're getting rid of the old man. You have to replace it with something. Time to put on the new man. In stating the new man, he is referring to be conformed to the image of Christ. He's not saying that, that uh, he, in other words, man does not have to be capitalized in that verse. The new man is you in Christ. It's not necessarily putting on Christ. It is you being conformed to Christ. Okay, does everybody see that? That's why it's not necessary for that to be capitalized. Okay, the new man is Christ. Don't get me wrong. He is the, the second Adam. Okay, but we are being renewed into the new man. So it, it's not necessary for that to be a capital M. Just keep that in mind. Okay, I'll read that again. Renewed in the spirit of your mind, Paul now bolsters that thought with and that you put on the new man. In stating the new man, he is referring to being conformed to the image of Christ. The old man is the Adam in us with all of its weaknesses, failings, and corruption. The new man is Christ in us anticipating that which still lies ahead, but which we can emulate even now. Paul refers to the contrast between these two in 1 Corinthians 15, 46 through 49. Here's what it says there. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, meaning Adam, so also are those who are made of dust. Every single human being that has ever been born was born of Adam. Even Christ descended from Adam. That's made explicit in, if, even if you can't really see it in um, Genesis, I'm sorry, um, Matthew 1, you can certainly see it in Luke 3. The entire genealogy from God creating Adam all the way down to Christ is 77 names listed. Okay? And we are uh, he was descended from Adam, but he did not inherit Adam's sin. That's the difference, okay? But we're all bear the image of the, the man of dust, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, meaning Christ, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. Okay, Christ came to change our default position from original sin, dead in Adam, to the new man in Christ, to give us a new hope, a new reality. And in that, okay, one of the things that uh, occurs in that, 2 Corinthians 5.19, God is not imputing man's sins to him. Under the law, under the old man Adam, because we were all in Adam, our sin was being imputed to us. Sin is the wage, the wages of death. Sin is the wages of death. Okay, or uh, thank you. The wages of sin is death. Thank you. The wages of sin is death. Okay, we are having our sin imputed to us, and hence we die. We're spiritually disconnected from God, and eventually our bodies die. But in Christ, no imputation of sin exists. Okay, that doesn't mean that we don't sin. Okay, we need to make sure that we get that right. When we do something wrong, we are sinning, but God is not imputing the sin to us. Because if he was, the moment that we were saved, the first sin that we committed, we would be unsaved. And that would be it. Okay, 
God is not imputing our sins to us because we are in Christ. Christ is now the protector of us from the imputation of sin. So that in itself is a logical argument for eternal salvation. There are about 10,000 other arguments for eternal salvation and that you cannot lose your salvation, but that is one of the preeminent ones right there. If you are not being imputed sin and the wages of sin is death, then you will no longer die, meaning be spiritually cut off from God ever again. Okay, that's one of the important things. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, so also we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. It's not an if, it's a yes. It is going to happen because we are in Christ. Although Paul speaks of this as future, that only means in the fullest sense. When we come to Christ, we move positionally to Christ. That was seen earlier in this chapter of Ephesians. It's also seen, for example, in Galatians 3.27, as well as other passages from Paul's hand. Let me take you to I'm sorry, Galatians 3:27 and it says there for this is 26 for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And that's not speaking of water baptism, okay? That is actually speaking of the baptism of the spirit. The moment that we believe in what Christ has done, receive him we are sealed with the Spirit. We're baptized into Christ, okay? So, as we move in position from Adam to Christ, we are instructed to live now as if it is already fully realized. This is what we were talking about in the last verse. That's the continued theme by Paul in this verse. We have been given this life. We've been granted this blessing. We should now move forward and try to endeavor to continue in him, moving towards him, not away from him, moving towards the new man, not back into the old man, okay? Once again, I understand we all fall. We all fail. Um, somebody, was, uh, somebody sent me a video about somebody on, uh, you know, online today, and he said, is this heresy? I won't give his name. I've talked about him before. I don't like his teaching. I don't like his theology. He's a mid-tribber. He's got all kinds of poor theology, but he's very popular. Anyway, my friend said, is this heresy? And the guy was saying that if you... Uh, have come to Christ, it's exactly the opposite of what I said in one of the Bible Bites last week. I said I, I went through 2 Peter, remember 2 Peter 1, 9, and I said, if you do this, and you do this, and you do this, and you do this, then you'll be fruitful and effective, and you won't forget that you have uh, been cleansed from your past sins, okay? Well, this guy is saying that if you've been saved by Christ, then you will naturally do this, and you will do this, and you will do this, you'll never lust again, etc., etc., going on and on. You talk about putting people back into bondage in their minds, that's it. That is it right there. This guy, it's not heresy. It's just very, very poor theology to tell somebody that you're never going to lust again. That is really stupid. What's that? Yeah, it's manipulative. It's bondage. It's this guy uh, obviously is so good that I'm going to emulate him instead of worrying about my relationship with Christ because this guy's obviously perfect if he can say something like that. It's just, it's very, very terrible to say things like that because people struggle with their sins. They struggle with them. If you've ever had an addiction, you know it never leaves your mind. For as long as you live, that addiction will be in your mind. I don't care if it's a chemical addiction, a sexual addiction. I don't care what kind of addiction a person has. It will always remain in their mind. And there are times where it will just suddenly rush in. It doesn't mean they're going to fall back into that, but it will rush in. People that smoked, that's an addiction, right? People go to a party and they smell it and they say, just this once. And the next thing they do, they're smoking 10 packs a day. They didn't start out meaning to do it. It just, these, these things, they get a hold of you, okay? 
I know a girl that I work with. I won't say one of the mall or 7-Eleven or whatever, but she didn't smoke for years. And she just smelled a cigarette walking down the road and she let it get into her head and she smokes continuously now. I feel so bad. All the money wasted, all stinky car and your house and all, you know, but that's fine. If you smoke, I'm not picking on you because that's your thing. There's nothing in the Bible says you can't smoke, but you, it'd be a lot more healthy if you didn't, you know, for certain there. But, oh, I just feel so bad, the struggle that you face once you've had some type of an addiction. Okay, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm completely empathetic with you, completely. Okay, this new man is plainly stated next as being, Paul's words, according to God. Adam was created by God, but Adam disobeyed God. In his disobedience, he was immediately, immediately spiritually disconnected from God, meaning he spiritually died. That is the death that entered the world when Adam sinned, that Paul refers to in the book of Romans. He further was condemned to die physically. He took on the nature of corruption leading to death. Now think about that. There was obviously no nature of corruption leading to death when Adam was created. Ostensibly, he could have lived forever. Okay, If he didn't sin, there would be no reason for him to die. He would just continue on living. He sinned, and he was cut off from God, and then he physically died. Returned to the earth just as the Bible said he would. Okay, now think of the opposite. If you're in Christ and you're not being imputed your sins, then you will never die. Thank God for Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. Just think about it for a second. I am in Christ. He has forgiven me of my sins. I'm not being imputed my sins. And I'm not talking about dying in this physical body. That is a given. And there's a reason. We've talked about that before. I mean, somebody needs to continue telling people about Christ. The church needs to continue. All these things need to happen. Okay, if God saved and raptured out the first believers, there wouldn't be anything going on after that, okay? So there's an obvious logical reason why God has continued to allow us in these bodies of corruption, okay? But we will never die again. We will never be separated from God ever again. That is an incredible thing to think about. That is, if you just meditate on that one thought, I will never be separated from my creator ever again because of what Jesus did for me. Unbelievable. Uh, he spiritually died. He further was condemned to die physically. He took on the nature of corruption. Christ, in contrast, was perfectly obedient to his Father. In his obedience, his life was lived according to God in true righteousness and holiness. This is what we are asked to emulate now. Those were Paul's words. We have put on Christ, and thus we are to live according to how Christ lived. That new life that we are to live will be further explained in the verses ahead. We are not just given an exhortation without explanation. Once again, it wouldn't do us any good. If Paul said to do these things and they didn't tell us how to do these things, it wouldn't do us any good at all. And this is the same thought as people going to church and not reading their Bible. It doesn't do you any good. The guy could be Jim Jones. The guy could be David Koresh. The guy could be a sincere preacher. You have no basis for knowing who he is, and what he is teaching. None. Zero. All you have is his word that what he says is true because he's the professional. Okay? Um, now, I will go so far as to say this. You should read your Bible. You should know your Bible. But one time, um, I had somebody come to me in, and we were talking about the political situation, and uh, this person said, why don't you know that? And I said, well, if I need to know that, I come to you. 
because you are the specialist in that. I can't do everything. And so after that, they realize that if they have something they want to know spiritually, they will come to me. But I'm not unaware of the political situation. I'm just not minutely aware of it. Okay, and that is what you all need to understand. You need to be aware of your spiritual situation by reading the word. You may not know. Like I said, I read the word a million times, but I had no doctrine. But I knew that this was right or this was wrong. I didn't know why, but I knew it was right or wrong. And so you don't have to be minutely aware of all and every doctrine, but you need to be aware of the context of what you were looking at. And you can't know that without the word. Okay, so with that understood, um, this is this new life that we are to live will be further explained in the verses ahead. We are not just given an exhortation without explanation. Rather, we are given the overall picture of how we are to live. And then this is followed up with practical details, which can follow in order to live out our lives in a manner which is pleasing to God. Okay, that's where we start reading the word. We get intimately familiar with it, and then from there, we can even grow into the actual doctrines. How does this doctrine work in connection with the other doctrines of the Bible? How does it work in my relationship with God? You may not know those by reading the Bible the first 50 or 100 times, but you will know that it exists, and you'll be able to reason it out when you're talking with somebody. That's not correct. That's a, that guy's got it. You will just know it, okay? You will, you will have that appreciation because you have the overall global perspective of what the Bible says. Life application. Paul's words here are exhortations for us to live in a manner which is pleasing to our Creator. But just as important for us, they are given so that we can live without further troubles in our lives. If we follow the proper path, it is obvious that we will avoid many pitfalls which could otherwise come our way. However, the only way to know this proper path is read your, Bible. read your Bible. Read the map which leads us on that road. Once again, it says, read your Bible. That's the one thing, if you don't get anything else out of me, well, there, I've said a couple other things that I would like you to never forget. One of them is that you need to read your Bible. If you get upset at Charlie and never come to the church again or never listen to me again, that's fine. Don't ever forget to read your Bible. Secondly, don't ever forget that salvation is eternal. You will not lose your salvation. If you don't have that down completely in your mind, let me know and I will give you all the verses you need. And if you come to a verse that is difficult and you don't understand it and you want to know, I will send you that analysis. I've typed it up. I, I'm certain of that. Okay? Please remember that if anybody tells you you can lose your salvation, you're in the wrong church. I'm not going to say that about somebody that says mid-trib rapture. I'm not going to say that about a lot of lesser doctrines. But the doctrine of eternal salvation is one of the most important in, that you can come across because it your walk with the Lord actually hinges how good it is on whether you truly believe that or not. It's one of the most important things I could ask you to never, never set aside is the knowledge that you are saved, that Christ has saved you, and that you are not responsible for your salvation any longer. You have done the thing that God has asked, and he will take care of the rest, okay? If it is, if it is up to you to keep being saved, then it was never of grace in the first place. It was never of grace, okay? 425. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood 
and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Okay, this one says we are members of one another. Other than that, it's almost the same. Okay, therefore, the word therefore is given as a summary of the previous few verses which provided the thought that the truth is in Jesus. Now Paul admonishes us, excuse me, to, according to the Greek, put away the lie. Here the abstract, the lie, is used to contrast truth, which is found in Jesus. If we are in Christ, we are to emulate Christ. The lie is incompatible with truth, and therefore we are to put it away. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, truth and the life. If he is truth, then we're to put the lie away. We want to participate in what he is. We want to participate in the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, if you're going on a different way, then you're not participating in his one way. Okay, so there you go. Um, we're to emulate him. The lie is incompatible with the truth, and therefore we're to put it away. Instead, we are instructed to let each one of you, Paul's words, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. The term neighbor is referring to believers as is revealed in the next words. For we are members of one another. That's Paul's words, and so it shows you the neighbor is speaking of one another. However, despite referring specifically to believers, lying is to be completely removed from our lives. You know, I heard something pretty cool a day ago. If you want the truth from somebody, have them send it in an email. And the reason why is people, they, they did a study and they said that if you uh, text some, uh, yeah, if you text somebody, apparently texts aren't saved or they, they disappear quickly or something. They went through each type of communication. And if you say something to somebody to their face, it's got like a 62% chance of not being true. If you send a text, it's down to 52%, whatever. I, I don't remember the numbers. Um, if you talk to them on the phone, then it goes way down because you're not even getting any body language, okay? But if you say, send me an email, they're only 9% likely to lie to you. Now imagine that because you have their words in writing. Okay, so, uh, and I love to communicate with people through email. I hate the phone. The phone, I hate more than any device on this. Hence, I don't own a cell phone, but I have a wall phone because I have to. I despise the phone. I just, I always have. I, I've never liked talking on the phone. But emails, you can think, you can do other things, and you also can relate. Now, you can't get emotions through email, so you got to be careful with that as well. You, you can very easily think somebody's upset at you when they're not. So, that, that is something you got to be careful about. But as far as uh, truth, if you send people emails, you're probably going to prompt yourself to be truthful just because you know intuitively somebody is going to have your words with you. So that's a good way of keeping yourself truthful as well. Um, another thing that I heard on the same study or on another study in the same subject is that if you want somebody to, or yourself, to be more truthful or to be more honest, you will have a mirror. Like if you uh, say you're a, a person that's on a diet and you uh, want to lose that weight, you will put a mirror in the kitchen. Because anytime you see eyes, it affects you. And they proved it by putting a painting of just a couple of eyes by a bike stand. And the theft reduction, just because of that painting, was 65%. They had 65% less bikes stolen just because there was a picture of ice. And they did a study and that if you put a mirror where you have to hold yourself accountable, 
then you will be much more likely to hold yourself accountable. If you deal with people eye to eye, you're going to be more accountable. The less you get away from that, the less you will. So those are a couple of lessons that I learned a day ago. I was really shocked at that. Just a picture of eyes, you know, just without any warning or anything, just eyes, 65% reduction in stolen bikes. So here we go. Um, uh, we got the neighbors. Uh, despite being referring to specifically to believers, lying is to be completely removed from our lives. We are to deal in truth at all times and avoid any hint of dishonesty. That's what got me on the idea of the, those two categories I just told you. Jesus shows us this in John 8:44. He says, lying is of the devil. That's right. We are to have no part of his wicked way, but are to fully and faithfully put on Christ and emulate him. And that's another really good way of being honest is to fix your eyes on Jesus. Because if you're thinking about Jesus, you know that his eyes are on you and therefore you will be more honest. Okay. Concerning the specific context of lying mentioned by Paul here, that of lying to members of the one body, it would be contradictory for a hand to lie to the other hand. If a task needed to be accomplished with two hands, one of them would need to help the other. But if the left lied to the right, the job could never get finished. If the eye saw a shoe waiting to be put on a foot, but told the foot that it didn't see the shoe, then the foot would never receive its shoe, and the happy time at the restaurant would be missed by the whole body. In other words, the body of believers is an interconnected whole. Paul uses that exact example elsewhere in his writings. It is contrary to the aims of the body for one to lie to another, okay? Obviously, your eye isn't going to lie to your foot, but the point is made that if somebody in the church lies to another about something that needs to be done, oh, great example, you know, Ravi Zacharias, he was the hero of apologetics for years and years, and then they found out that he wasn't the hero that everybody thought he was. He was a man skilled in theology, but he didn't live the life, okay? And guess what? Finally, after he died, they released all of this information. Well, we understand. That. And there's a couple things that happened with that. One is that a lot of people in the apologetics arena, big names that you all know, knew that this was going on. And they didn't say anything because they didn't want to hurt the message. Okay? But more, the people in his ministry were hiding this fact. And they were working in the ministry while hiding the fact that they knew what was going on. That is lying one to another and to the body of Christ. Come on in here. How are you? Looks like we got pizza tonight. I, I just put them both right there and uh, the top one will go home to Hidako. That's great. That's a lot of food for that woman. Oh, boy. She's only, my, I told you, I, a wad today, I said my wife is smaller than she is. And so a lot of, she'll be eating that for a month. Yes. A lot for uh, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get it down. Thank you. Thank you. Be blessed, brother. Have fun. All right. Thanks. Take good care. Okay. So uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah. Contrary to the aims, if one lies to another, and here we had Ravi Zacharias ministry lying, not just to one another, not just within the community, but to the whole world. What a sad state of affairs to be in. What an absolutely sad, sad state of affairs. Life application. And we'll be done because we're going to have pizza. We got some guests and I thought it's a good day. It's the end of the month time for some. Oh, you know what I forgot to do? Sorry, sorry. Okay. 
I, I'm sorry, that was my fault. I usually get them something because they eat something separate. I hope you can at least eat some pizza or the, the meat off of it or something. I apologize. I always get them a salad. That was my fault. Okay, um, here we go. When a lie enters between two people, a bond of trust is ended. It is extremely hard to repair such a rift because a lie is so personal. If a person cannot be trusted with the truth, there is no basis for any true relationship at all. There will, no, there will normally only be distrust from that point on. Healing such a rift can take an extremely long time, or it may never come about at all. Let us be careful to be honest in our dealings with others at all times. You know, I'm thinking about, uh, uh, I hate to say it, but I'm thinking about our president. And you look at his past record over the past 40 years, the number of lies he openly has stated to the American people, openly, openly stated. And they've got them all on video. You can watch a video that's 20 minutes long, one lie after another. He just makes stuff up. How can you have a relationship with anybody when you have that mentality? How can you do it? How can you have a relationship with your president when he is, you can't, it's impossible. Unless you just have an agenda that you want to meet and he's the one that can do it, that's the only way you can do it. I'm very sorry to say that, but man, the lies, he, he, he stands up, he did it three or four times in the past week. Oh, my father was uh, whatever, and his father didn't, he, no. He says, I went on this trip and it never happened. He just says stuff. How can, how can you have a relationship with people like that? You can't, it's so sad. Heavenly Father, help us to be truthful in our words. Help us to be responsible towards one another, just as your word says, and just as Paul has instructed us. Help us to be renewed in the spirit of our mind so that we can focus on you, so that we can grow in you, so that we can be a part, a good and responsible part of what you are doing in the church until it's called home. Lord, the church is very quickly falling away from any sense of responsibility, but help those that truly love your word around this world in whatever church they're in, in whatever setting they're in, Give them the wisdom to, to continue to hold fast to the sound doctrine which you have set forth for us. Help us to live this life in that manner so that you will be glorified and so that the word will be properly passed on to the next people who need to hear the truth of God in Christ. May it be so to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, before we close. Before we close, and while the camera is still going, I want to make sure that um, it is understood that Graham in Scotland, his family, and um, um, uh, Phil Kaufman. He also sent some money for the pizza today. So uh, that takes care of it. Thank you, Phil, and thank you, Graham, and your family. And uh, we'll have some pizza on you. Thank you very much. Okay, let me back up the camera and we'll have some neat. Okay, let's see. We're going to go to two, 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 break.